Well, good morning, everybody. How we doing? Good? Welcome all of you that are online as well. You guys are lively this morning. It's been great, all right? So if you hear something in this sermon that you like, let me know about it, all right? Well, he didn't like that. But hey, if you hear something you don't like, I don't want to hear about it, all right? You can keep that to yourself. And EJ, I froze, dude. You asked me what I had. I had beef short ribs for Thanksgiving, but you, I, I was like turkey, I, I, you know. But so it was a little bit diversifying, all right? Hey, I'm thankful. I hope you guys are well. I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for the men that have said yes to become our next installment of elders. Nine different men here at this campus, along with their wives, seven over at West Fort Worth, five at South Lake. I'm thankful that this church has a vision. We're not satisfied, we're not sitting idle. And that vision is that we wanna become a church that better represents and looks more like the community that we serve. And so therefore we have a desire and a goal to become a multi-ethnic church. And the amazing thing is, is that you wanna talk about authentic? The most authentic you can, thing you can do when you're saying something like that is that you're demonstrating that all levels of leadership are changing as well. And that the diversity that's being introduced into our eldership at the highest level of leadership here excites me. Yes, we'll be more welcoming. Yes, we'll be more inclusive. But I'm excited about the wisdom that's coming as well. It's going to be a powerful time for us. Church, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of who you nominated. And the men that said yes, I'm proud of you for saying yes and wanting to step into this and their wives as well. The best days of the Hills Church are in front of her. And it's going to be fun together. Amen. I'm also thankful for Rick Ashley. He does an amazing job of stewarding this pulpit through the excellence that he brings each and every week and through just the gifting, the anointing that he has that we also see displayed through Taylor Walling as well. And that I would get an opportunity today to speak to you and to preach to you is very humbling to me and I'm very thankful for that. Plus, I want to say some nice things about Rick off the top because I want to make fun of him a little bit here in a minute, all right? Here's what I want to do. I want to get into today because i got a lot to say, but I want to talk to God first. So bow your heads with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. Lord, you know I've struggled this week. I've struggled with wanting to look good this morning. I've struggled with wanting to impress people this morning and wanting to sound good this morning. And Lord, what I want to do is I want to bring you glory. I want to make Jesus famous. And so, Lord, I am surrendering to you. Would you please move? Not so that folks are impressed, but so that they're transformed. Please, Lord, we love you. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Ask for nations and generations. It fires me up. And what fires me up the most, if I'm being honest, is the first goal in the nations portion of our vision. Lord willing, 1,825 people will surrender to Christ and will be baptized over the next five years. I cannot wait. But here's the thing, if we're not careful, all we think about in that are the people that are saying yes, the people that are being baptized, and it's so much more than that. When we hear 1825, it ought to mean something to us personally as well, that I'm being sent. It's funny how numbers can convey things. Numbers can communicate things. They, they have a branding all their own sometimes. Like, check out this picture. Who is this? It's Jordan. It's MJ, right? It's Michael. 
Best basketball player that ever lived. How many of you think it should be LeBron? Raise your hand. All of y'all should be coming forward for prayer at the end of the service. We will pray over you for the errors of your ways. What about this number, 5,280? What does that mean to you? What was that? Strikeouts. That's, that's close. But think about Denver, Mile High City. 5,280 feet in a mile. That's kind of hard, right? All right. I'm a little embarrassed about this one, but here we go. What about this? All right, that's enough. Cut it, cut it, cut it. All right. That's Jenny's number. Tommy Two-Tone, I think is the dude's name. It was released in 1981. Like, I put that in my sermon voluntarily. Please forgive me. But I still remember that phone number 40 years later. It's crazy. All right. All right, what about the number 42? What do you think of? 42. Some of you are thinking dominoes, the game that we play, right? Especially at 8.30 service, just, just, just saying, all right? Especially at 8.30 service. That got me in trouble. But some of you are thinking Jackie, right? Jackie Robinson, brave, courageous man that broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball. Every single Major League organization has retired the number 42 because of this man, his brave, his, his courage, and how great he is and was. Here's what I want, church. I want 1825 to have meaning for us, to have a branding for us, to convey that it is something that we are on mission doing together. Yes, it's going to transform this community when that many people say yes, but it's going to transform us as well as we are being sent into this mission and into this vision of making and growing followers of Jesus. And yet when you hear 1,825, it can be a little bit daunting. It can be a little bit overwhelming. How in the world are we supposed to do that? How are we, how are we supposed to do it in only five years? Remember, same way we eat an elephant, one bite at a time. One person at a time. But all of us collectively going together. It's not about going and talking to people and then bringing them to the professionals and saying, here, you take care of it. No, you guys are the professionals because that spirit that EJ was talking about earlier is alive in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So how did Jesus attack this 1825 mentality, if you will? Well, the beauty is that I get to talk about one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. It's a story you may have heard called the demoniac, a guy who's possessed. It's in Matthew 8 and Luke 8. I'm going to read out of Mark 5 because that's the one that I like the most. But to set the stage, I'm going to go towards the end of Mark 4. Jesus has been preaching. He's talking about the sower of seeds and all these seeds that are being scattered. He's talking about the mustard seed. It's the smallest seed, but it's the biggest plant. It's all about growth. It's all about harvest. It's all about what Jesus came to do. And then out of that, after a large crowd of people were coming, it was effective in what he was doing and people were coming towards him, he left. Mark 4, starting in verse 35, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. That may mean to you cross to the other side of the tracks and somewhere that God needs to send you. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Folks, sometimes 
We hear God call us somewhere and we say yes and we're willing to go, but we go with the expectation that it'll be smooth sailing. We go with the expectation that there won't be any difficulties and there won't be any storms. The expectation you should have when you go is that Jesus will be with you, always. But it may be a little rough along the way. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The ultimate non-anxious presence in the midst of a storm. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And you can be assured that the waves and wind still know his name today. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. They were terrified of the waves. They call unto Jesus. He takes care of it. And they're still terrified. Who is this man, they ask each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. There's a theme that's being developed here. They are displaying a fear that they have in life circumstances. And even though they are traveling with the master, they don't know who he is. They've left their life. They've left their careers. They've gotten in this boat. And yet they don't know who he is. So as we jump into this story in Mark 5, verses 1 through 20, and I'm going to read them all, so hang with me. I want you to think about that theme, and do you see it repeated anywhere? So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. Jesus climbed out of the boat. A man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. They thought the storms were crazy. Now they got some dude possessed by demons. And it doesn't say it in this, but it says in the other, he didn't have any clothes on. This dude was naked. He wasn't naked. He was naked, okay? <laughs> and they're going, do I avert my eyes? Do I get back in the boat? I mean, what is it that I'm supposed to do here? <clears throat> this man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, He snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Huh, I beg to differ. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and they entered the pigs and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. If Rick actually were preaching this sermon, he would insert a bad dad joke here about all that bacon getting wasted, okay? 
And here's the problem. You guys keep laughing, so he's going to keep telling them, all right? <laughs> the herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. Do you notice something? Whenever we encounter something that's life-threatening or exhilarating, whether we're at the highest of highs or the lowest of lows, we've been made in such a way that as we're going, we spread the news about what it is that's going on. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd, a crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. And they were all thankful, afraid. That didn't make any sense to me. This man's been terrorizing this community for who knows how long. You parents think about it. Your kids are out playing and you're saying, hey, don't go down past that last meadow because then you're going to get towards the burial tombs and that's where naked dude is that's howling and screaming and cutting himself all the time. You're laying in bed trying to go to sleep and you hear this howling and screaming that's going on in the middle of the night and it's not the coyotes. It's the guy that's on the edge of town never knowing when he's going to leave there and come in and do some damage in the village. And yet, when that's been taken care of, they're afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to help them with all of their other problems. No, to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no. Go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns, the Decapolis, maybe in your version, the ten towns of that region, and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. There's a turn in the story where fear gets shifted into amazement. So quick recap. These 12 dudes, they're following Jesus. They get in the boat. They're scared. They yell at Jesus. Jesus says, be still to the storm. They're still scared because they're like, who are you? They get there. They see naked dude. They're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? What do we do now? And all of a sudden, he starts coming running towards Jesus, starts talking like, like Venom from the, in the Marvel movie, saying, I'm legion and all this other stuff. He says, hey, Jesus does. Get out of there. They go into the pigs. The pigs go running off at the edge. They jump into the water. The herdsmen go, ah, they take off running and run over here. The village people go, not YMCA, but village people that actually lives in the village, they come out and they're going, what's going on? They're scared because they see dude just sane and sitting there nice and normal and they look at Jesus and go, dude, you got to get out of here. What is going on and what is wrong with these people? But have you noticed a common theme? Have you noticed, if you're taking notes, maybe you might want to write this down, that when people only see Jesus' power and don't know him, they are afraid, so they flee. When they only see his power and they don't know him, they're afraid, so they flee. So when you're talking to family members, coworkers, neighbors, fellow classmates, it's really important for all the students that are in the room, you start talking to people about how God can make a difference, how Jesus can make a difference, and then they start ghosting you. You're making appointments to go eat lunch with somebody, to go eat breakfast with somebody, they stand you up. 
I can't tell you how many different times that's happened in my life. But here's the thing. We shouldn't be surprised. In fact, we should be encouraged because something's going on. Someone is at work. And now the enemy has taken notice and he's coming in to try to disrupt things. And so when you are first introducing somebody to Jesus and they do the Heisman for a while, it's okay. Don't get discouraged. Keep taking those steps. Keep going. Keep engaging them. Do you notice there's one person in the story that's not afraid? It's a demon-possessed guy. He's the one guy who runs towards Jesus. And it says that he bowed before him. Now, if you talk to Rick actually, he would tell you that he pointed this out to me. I, I would tell you I remember it a little bit differently, and I think I pointed it out to him. I mean, you could think that, you know, the degrees from ACU, undergrad, graduate degree, 40 years of preaching, you know, and me, I've got about 20 years in a dugout on a baseball field, right? So you, you decide who you want to listen to in this. But that word back in the original text in the Greek, bowed, is actually proskuneo, which means to prostrate oneself. Prostrate, not prostate, that's a whole different scene, okay? Prostrate oneself before Jesus. His nose is just above the earth. He is in a worshipful position. This is a position of worship. Yes, it's a position of submission, but it's out of a heart of worship, not out of a heart of inferiority. Why is he bowing to Jesus? Because he's the only one in the story currently who knows who Jesus is. And how does he know who he is? Who told him? It was the stinking demons that told him. They see Jesus and they say, what do you want with us, Jesus, son of the most high God? This guy says, who? I'm going there. And he takes off running and he bows before him because that's all that he has to offer. You know people like this in your life. You may be in a season of life that this is you. Pay attention to this next verse. Go back to Mark 5, 4. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. That is not true. That is a lie straight from hell. I'm not saying the Bible's wrong. I'm saying the Bible is reporting upon what the people believed at the time and the moment, but we all know that Jesus is more powerful than any predicament that we ever find ourselves in, that Jesus can break any chain that we ever find ourselves bound in, that Jesus can show you a way that brings life and truth and joy when so often we find things that just bring shame and guilt. Friend, I don't know where you are this morning, but you may find yourself in an affair where you are just looking for some kind of affirmation until you're running into the arms of another woman or you're running into the arms of another man. And that is not reality and that will not bring the joy and the self-esteem that Jesus will offer you. I don't know what bottle you're chasing and the answers you're looking for in the bottom of it or what powder you're sniffing or what it is that you're smoking or liquid that you're plunging. All those things will do is numb some things for a season, but they won't cure anything, and they'll be there whenever you come back to your senses, only worse than they are right now. 
I don't know how many magnetic strips you've worn out on the back of your credit card and thinking if I just obtain and just buy and just get the very next thing and the next shiny thing and the next beautiful thing and the next whatever thing, that life will be different and I will look different and everything will be great, I'm telling you that it won't. And if those are the places that you're going, then no one was strong enough to subdue him is true, but we have a different alternative. We get to go to Jehovah Jireh. He is enough. He is enough. We sang earlier that there's no ocean that he won't cross so that I won't drown. And I'm here to tell you there's no lake that he won't cross so that you won't be found. Jesus loves you and he pursues you. And not only that, but he went to a cross, willingly died for you, took on all of your mistakes, all of your sins. I don't care what they are. I don't care how many they are. He paid for all of them. And just when it seemed like death was going to win on Friday, Sunday came along and he got up and he walked out of that tomb and he said, not only am I putting death to death in your life, but I'm putting death to death, period. That is the truth and that is the beauty in which we get to walk in and which we get to live in. And you never have to worry if there's someone strong enough to subdue the difficult places that you find yourself in. So there was that shift that was starting to happen at the end of the story. So we go back to Mark 5.20. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of the capitalists of the region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. It's crazy how sometimes people can witness the power of Jesus firsthand and it scares them, but then they hear about it through the context of your story, and it doesn't scare them anymore, but it amazes them. Brings me to my second point. When people see Jesus through you, they are amazed, so they lean in. They're curious. They want to know more. And you know how they see Jesus through you? By you sharing your story. By you talking about how good he's been in your life and all the changes that he's made. And you want to know how effective it is? Let's just look at scripture. We finished on Mark 5.20, so now we're going to jump ahead to Mark 7, verse 31. So we've, we've gone about two chapters in Mark, so it's about six months a chapter. It's about a year. I'm just kidding. I'm making all that up. I don't know how long later it is but long enough for this man to have run his mouth. And let's see if it made a difference. Mark 7, verse 31. Jesus left Tyre and went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the ten towns. Remember, he was there and they said, get out of here, leave us alone. Now he's coming back. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him and the people begged Jesus. What, are they, what were they doing begging last time? Get out of here. Begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Something different going on here, y'all. Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. He put his fingers into the man's ears. Then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. We're going after 1825, folks. So what we're going to do for the next five years is put our fingers in people's ears and then spit on our fingers and grab them by the tongue. <laughs> Just kidding. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, something like that, which means be opened. Instantly, the man could hear perfectly and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. Why do we think that we have to tell our story? It has to be at some doctorate level. 
Jesus comes so that you can speak plainly and perfectly and clearly. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. They were completely amazed and said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. Where was this in chapter 5? There's so many people that are coming around and they're listening to him that they miss dinner time again. And we've got another miracle, the feeding of the, the 4,000 at this point. So now we jump forward to Mark 8, 9, and it says there were about 4,000 men in the crowd that day. And Jesus sent them home after they had eaten. 4,000 men mean there were about 10,000 people there when you start talking about the women and start talking about the children and you start talking about the men. In a region before that said, get out of here when they saw it. But now they're saying, no, please stay. Because here's another thing I want you to write down. When people get to know Jesus, they are captivated. So they are made new. And don't miss the math that's going on here. Back in chapter 5, it took 2,000 demons to bring one person to Jesus. That is a horrible customer acquisition cost. That is horrible. And then all of a sudden you go forward two different chapters and it takes one believer in Jesus to introduce 10,000 people to him. Hills family, we got 10,000 folks running through this place, whether it's at all of our campuses, whether it's online. And what might God do with us that when we hear 1825, we don't just hear about the lives that are going to be transformed, but we realize that ours are going to be transformed as well and that he is sending us. He is sending us. It's impossible for me to preach on evangelism without going to Revelation 12, 11. This is a prophetic word given to John thousands of years ago. Remember, we pray to the Lord of the harvest. The harvest is plentiful. It's the laborers that are few. But let them not say that about the Hills Church. And may we walk in what this prophetic word says in Revelation 12, 11. It says, and they have defeated him. They're talking about Satan. They have defeated him. When it says they, we're not talking about at the cross because it was only Jesus that could defeat him at the cross. But this is after the fact, and now we're talking about people's lives, and they defeated him by the blood of the lamb, talking about Jesus, and by their testimony, by their story. It doesn't say by their theology. It doesn't say by their ability to walk through a 32-week discourse on the book of John. would be great, but that's not what God's calling you to do with the people in your life that don't know who he is. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. They did not love their lives so much that they were afraid of what might be a socially awkward moment. They did not love their lives so much that whenever things got hard, they just said, I don't think I want to do this anymore. They continue to pursue until they are found. So what does that look like for us? What does that look like today? Here we are at the end of November. Come March of next spring, we're going to have our next baptism weekend. It's been way too long. One of the hardest things for this church through the pandemic has been our evangelistic voice and evangelistic fruit. And I'm asking the Lord to change that and to bring revival 
But I also know that revival starts here and starts with each of you. 1825, church, when you hear that, that means that he is sending you. And what that looks like over the next month, you've got great opportunities to invite people into your life and to engage in their life and to go to the different things that are going to happen over the next month through the Christmas holidays. You may get to demonstrate some generosity to somebody that they've never experienced before by a Christmas gift. There's incredible football games. There's incredible theater uh, Exhibits that are going on, art exhibits, all sorts of things where you can engage people and invite them into life. I had a guy one time say, dude, all you do is invite me to church. Why don't you ever invite me to lunch? I was like, ah, that hurt. Inviting people to church is a bigger step for some folks than others. And so sometimes we just got to invite them to a meal. January's rolling around, fellas. We got our men's conference coming back this year. It's a great opportunity to invite your one. In the month of February, we're going to do some work with relationships. and We're going to have a date night. Uh, opportunity for marriages. There's all sorts of opportunities for you to be engaging in somebody's life now, earning the right to be heard so that when the harvest opportunity comes in March, we're not just going, oh, I hope the Spirit's doing so. I, I hope there's been 2,000 enough bad things that have happened that they've finally come to their senses. I don't want to be that church. I don't think we are, but I don't want to be it either where all we do is we sit around and talk about the brokenness that's in the world and all the other things that are going on. You know, sometimes when we're on social media and we're posting things about what should and shouldn't be and this and that and everything else, all people hear is about Jesus's power, but they don't know him. And so they are afraid and they don't want to have anything to do with us and they flee. I don't know where you are. I don't know if it was 2000 of something that led you to Jesus, or I don't know if you were one of the 10,000 that, man, you grew up in a Christian home, you've never known life without Jesus. Wherever you are on that continuum, you have a story to tell, and I promise you it's not just your story, but it's a story that God's writing in you for somebody specifically that he's going to put before you. So instead of worrying about what your story is or isn't, would you be bold and courageous with the story that you have with the folks that are in front of you. We're going to see amazing things happen, church. But it starts with each and every one of us. And when we hear 1825, may we start to just get giddy in our seats and go, all right, Lord, where are you sending me now? I'm going to close with this. Matthew 28 Verse 18, it's called the Great Commission. Jesus came and told his disciples, for each and every one of you that are a follower of Jesus, he is speaking to you. He's not speaking to 12 historical dudes. Yeah, he's speaking to them, but not only. So Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth earth, where we are, where he's sending us. He has all the authority. Therefore, 1825 Hills Church, therefore go after 1825 Hills Church. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, 1825. Baptizing them, 1825, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
teach these new disciples, all 1,825 of them, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even in the storms, even in the burial caves, even in the workplace, even on the football field, even in the theater, wherever it is that I'm sending you, regardless of what it is or who it is that you encounter, I am with you always. Who is with you always? The one that has all power and all authority. And he wants to use you to make a difference. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Will you bow your heads? Oh, dear Heavenly Father. Whew. Fired up this morning, Lord. It's amazing what you're doing. It's amazing what you've called us to. Can't do it on our own. Don't want to do it on our own. None of us have the power to bring life out of death. But all of us have the power of your spirit living in us if we've surrendered our life to you. Lord, we're praying for 1825. Praying for more than that, Lord. Some legalist out there right now going, isn't there a leap year in there somewhere? There is. We're doing more than 1825, Lord. Blow it away. Lord, I also remember, man, I asked you if you had anything specific. When I was reading that story and the, and the demoniac begged and wanted to go, and Jesus said, no, I need you to stay. I believe the Spirit told me, Lord, that there are people that are here today that thought they knew what ministry was going to look like for them, what mission was going to be in their life. And so they were ready, and they said, all right, Lord, here's where I'm going. And you said, no. And in that moment, they were derailed. In, in that moment, they were hurt. And some are still on the sidelines, Lord. Some are still pouting, Lord. Let them know right now, Lord, right here, right now, that the reason you said no wasn't because you don't love them, wasn't because... You weren't going to equip them, but it was because your ways are higher than their ways. Your thoughts are greater than their thoughts, and you had a better mission for them. And, Lord, may those hearts right now heal and say, okay, Lord, I'm sorry. I want to go where you're sending me to go. And just like what happened with the man that had all the demons, use them, Lord to change their sphere of influence because they keep telling people how good you are and all that you've done for them. May that be who we are, Lord, please. We love you. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.